Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we will continue our reflections into this very rich and exciting book that is the book of Genesis. But before we get back into chapter 6, I did just want to continue to thank all of you who are taking time out of your busy schedules to not only listen to me live here at 5.30, but also those of you who are listening to me by way of podcast who might be listening to me on uh, the iPhone, the, the computer, or however you might be listening to this program. I am very grateful that you are taking time out of your busy schedules. I continue to see that people are listening not only in uh, the Sacramento Diocese and the state of California, for that matter, but uh, also in the countries of Mexico, Canada, uh, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Peru. Uh, I continue to see uh, those countries in Western Europe, Portugal, Italy, Spain, France, Germany. I welcome all of you uh, here into the studios in the friendly confines of Chico, California. It really is an honor to be journeying with you in this very rich book, the book of Genesis. So, To pick up where we left off yesterday, we were talking about the person and figure of Noah. And what I want to do now is actually get into uh, the commands that God makes to build the ark and even into some of the specifics, because certainly I think there is a prevailing question out there. Could the ark be big enough to carry all of those animals? I mean, that is a fair question. Right, And so we're going to get into that in the light of these dimensions. And so I am going to go ahead and read these verses. I debated on whether or not I wanted to read these verses, but there are some, I think, striking things that come out from a good reading of this text. So if you want to pull out your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 6, I am going to read, uh, let's see here, chapter 6, verses 11 to 22. 11 to 22. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you 
and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. He did all that God had commanded him. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the first things that struck me in reading this text for this evening, and I say this evening because, like you, I have probably read this text over a hundred times. But for one reason or another, I was particularly struck by the detail of God's <laughs> command here to build the ark. Very specific, right? 50 cubits, 30 cubits, a cubit above, 300 cubits, all these very specific demands. Why is God so specific? You know, we have the tendency today to say, don't sweat the small stuff. And I get it. I get why people say that. But my dear friends, if Satan is in the detail, be rest assured, God is in the detail. And we are to be attentive to the details, to the details of each and everything that we do. Why? Because we are going to have to, what did Jesus say in the gospel of Matthew? Pay every last penny. We have to be attentive to the minutia of each and every day, the very tiny movements of each and every day, the second by second of each and every day, because this is how we become more present to God. In other words, my friends, if we are going to grow in the spiritual life, then the more seconds we are present to God, the more minutes we will be present to God. The more minutes we will be present to God, the more hours we will be present to God. Virtue begets more virtue. One small virtue, my dear friends, in one encounter can be the launching point for a whole new relationship with God. We just have to be attentive to the detail. God built the ark to the detail, right? Now, in saying that, let's speak to that detail here a little bit. Certainly, I have received the question on more than one occasion, as I kind of noted off the top, that there is no way that God's ark could have brought in all of those animals. My dear friends, pay close attention <laughs> to how big this ark actually was. Because if you were to draw this out, the measurements, and I'm not going to get into the math of it right now, but essentially what you would be dealing with is an ark that would measure about 500 feet long, 80 feet wide, and approximately 50 feet high. That is one 
massive boat. And oh, by the way, my friends, I know of at least one that was actually built to these measurements. It is here in the United States, and I believe it is nestled somewhere in between Cincinnati, Ohio, and Lexington, Kentucky. You can go online, just Google Noah's Ark, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Lexington, Kentucky. I'm sure it's going to pop up. You can get a sense of how big this ark actually was, this ark of, of Goverwood. So certainly uh, something to consider. And be mindful that there just wasn't one deck, right? There just wasn't two decks, but three decks. Three decks to carry uh, just not the household of Noah, but the many, many animals. Okay, how about God establishing his covenant? I think it's important to translate that Hebrew as just not establishing his covenant with man. We read in verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you. Um, this actually better translates as confirm my covenant. Now, this is important because the Hebrew expression indicates the renewal of an already existing covenant rather than, say, the ratification of an entirely new covenant. If you understand it in this context, then it presupposes what? That God had already established a covenant with man. And in this case, really, if you were to go back into the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, up to really and through chapter 2, verse 4, it is a covenant with creation, but certainly one made with Adam and Eve. Now, this is, I believe, very important because, as Dr. Scott Hahn would argue, once you understand this, then you have the foundation for the larger covenant family structure with God. What do I mean by that? Well, there is a sequence of covenants that helps us better understand what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 14, verse 24, when he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Go back into the first covenant that God made with Adam, Adam and Eve, and the sign of that covenant was creation itself, right? So the number of that covenant was two, Adam and Eve. The next covenant you have is a covenant with Noah and his household, what we just talked about. So the size of God's covenant family expands from two to eight. What's the next covenant you see in the Old Testament? But the covenant made with Abraham, where we are going to talk about this in great, great detail. Abraham is the father of a tribe. So God's covenant family expands from two to eight to a tribe. From a couple to a household to a tribe. What's the next covenant made with man? But the covenant made with Moses. Moses is the overseer of a nation. So now we move from a covenant made with two to then eight, to a tribe, and to a nation. From a couple, to a household, to a tribe, to a nation. Well, what's the next covenant made with man? But with David. David is a king. Kingdoms overrule nations. So we see how God's covenant family continues to expand. And then what's the next great covenant with man? Well, when God becomes man with Jesus Christ. And this, my friends, a covenant that is sealed with the baptism and the Eucharist as he institutes the Eucharist in the upper room is a covenant that is universal. 
The only way God's covenant with man gets bigger is if it becomes universal, cosmic, Gentile, Jew, Greek alike. Incidentally, my friends, as many of us know, the word Catholic comes from the Greek kataholike. It is a word that literally means universal or whole and entire. My dear friends, all of the seven sacraments are the signs of this new covenant. The source and summit is the Eucharist, of course, and certainly we are incorporated into the mystical body of Christ in and through baptism, but all the seven sacraments are the signs of this new covenant ratified in the very blood of Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Okay, moving forward, let's read here chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. There you have it, the eight, right? For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the air also, male and female, to keep their kind alive upon the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. Um, my friends, before we get into the significance of the seven and seven pairs of animals, note both verse 22 and uh, chapter 7 verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. Why is that significant? Well, my friends, he followed through, right? Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded. How have we spoken to this before? Uh, action follows being. What was Noah's being about? He was righteous. He was just. He was blameless. God found favor with him. Oh, by the way, the word beatitude in the Greek makarios means what but to find favor with God. He found favor with God. He was a man of no guile. So he did what God had commanded him to do. He did what God had commanded him to do, right? Now, there's a fun play on words here. What does the word obedience mean? To talk about Noah here, certainly it is right to talk about his obedience to the Lord's command. The word obedience means to listen, to listen, and to listen well, to listen well. If you were to go into the Latin for absurd, uh, the root word there is surdus, okay? That speaks more generally to to listen poorly, okay, to listen poorly. So here you have these two words that I think are intended to be juxtaposed against one another, right? Obedience and absurd. When you are obedient to God's command, you are listening well. When you don't listen well, it is literally absurd. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That the very word absurd comes to us from listening poorly. We identify many things 
as absurd. We say you are absurd, or that was absurd. We define many things as absurd, but do we put it into its appropriate context of listening poorly? Noah? Noah turned down the volume setting. He heard God. His life wasn't filled with absurdity. No, he was a man of righteousness, a man of blamelessness, a man of profound holiness. He followed his command. Action follows being. Action follows being. If you want your doing to be caught up in God's will, then make sure that your being is in God. And again, this is so important because we never talk about human beings within the context of human doings. No, we say human being. What we do is at its best when we come to understand who we are in God. All right. Now, how about this whole discussion on the seven and more specifically, again, the seven pairs? Well, added to the general command of taking two of every animal aboard the ark is this command to take seven pairs. Now, the rationale for this additional requirement really emerges from the larger context of the story. Okay, so the single pairs of unclean animals will go forth to repopulate the earth after the flood, whereas the seven pairs of clean animals are needed for what? But sacrifice. The sacrifices that, as we will read, will be offered after the flood and sacrifices that are necessary for Noah to enter into covenant relationship with God. Now, what about the number seven? The number seven is very important, not just because it represents perfection in Hebrew thought, because really to say that is to beg another question. Why does the number seven symbolize perfection in Hebrew thought? Because the number seven is the number that is caught up in God's covenant life. What do I mean? Well, how do you enter into a covenant relationship with anyone but to swear an oath? This is what you see in the book of Genesis. We read Abraham entering into a covenant relationship with Abimelech. And what do they do? They swear an oath exchanging seven ewe lambs. Why would they exchange seven? Because the Hebrew word, shavah, literally translates as to seven oneself. So what was inherent to the covenant exchange, the covenant agreement, was what? But the number seven. Seven became something that was tied to the covenant. Why do we have seven sacraments? I was just talking about the sacraments. Because these are those oath-binding covenants we make with God, whereby we enter into deeper relationship with God. By the way, what does the word oath mean? I'm talking about, you know, we swear oaths. This is how you enter into covenant relationship with God. The Latin word for oath is sacramentum. Sacramentum. We enter into a oath Binding relationship with God when we what? Enter into the seven sacraments. Let's go deeper into this reflection. Today, there has been 
a lot of attention, just not in Hollywood, but certainly also in the church, given to the importance of deliverance ministry, and more specifically, exorcisms. There has been an exponential increase in deliverance ministry today in the number of exorcisms being performed. The word exorcism comes from the Greek exorcia. It literally translates as to oath out, to oath out. Does that not make perfect sense as we talk about entering into a covenant relationship with God? Maybe you know someone who has bound themselves by oath to the adversary. The only way they are going to be delivered from that possession is if, in fact, they are unbound by the grace of a holy orders, the grace of the priesthood, the power of the priesthood to oath out. All right, I was led to talk about that because certainly the language of covenant here is everywhere. What about the 40 days? 40 days, certainly all throughout both the Old and New Testament, we see that 40 days is very much symbolic to the period of fasting, to the period of purification, right? If you wish to be purified in your concupiscent appetite, that is to say, in your sense appetite, you know, we always want to eat more, uh, sleep more, just enjoy life more. Um, but sometimes the more can lead down a very dangerous path. So we need to purify ourselves and purify ourselves from those temptations that come our way and the desire to uh, eat, drink, and sleep more. Uh, so we fast. We fast, which fasting, my friends, is to pray with the body, to pray with the body. We so often talk about how so much of communication is tied to the language of the body. Well, yeah, if prayer is conversation with God, then how do we pray with the body? But to fast, right? And here we see how praying becomes offering. What does Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 say? Renew yourselves as a holy and acceptable offering to God. Let this be your spiritual worship. Let this be your prayer. So we pray with the body when we fast. We pray with the body when we purify ourselves. And this is necessary. Why? Because, well, I think we all want to see God, right? What is that great beatitude that we have spent so much time with? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Purity there, the Greek, literally translates as to be without mixture, to be one thing. So the idea there in principle is to not be double-minded, to not be preoccupied. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Do not worry. Do not be anxious. That Greek is do not be preoccupied. Don't be of two minds on one thing. The way we arrive at that disposition to be single-hearted or, or single-minded for God is to purify ourselves, is to fast, is to abstain. There's something that happens in a very concrete way when we say no to this food or that drink. Remember, every time we say no to one thing, we are at once saying yes to another thing. And to say no again to, to this food or that drink is to say yes to God. 
This is the power of fasting. And we have to be intentional when we fast. Lord, I offer this very concrete sacrifice to you. And as I do, bring something great from it. What does Paul say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24? That we make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the body of Christ, the church. Paul is not saying that there was something lacking per se in the crucifixion, as much as he is saying that we share in, in the redemptive mission of Christ. Go to Colossians 1.24 if you are hearing this for the first time and spend time with that. It's a striking verse. It really is that verse that helps us to better understand this vocation that is before us, to unite our sufferings to Christ. We conform ourselves to Christ that our very lives might be in uniformity with Christ. Okay, so fasting is very important. Uh, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. We will pick up here next week with, uh, I think, verse 6, chapter 7, verse 6, and, and Noah's and uh, the narrative with Noah. If you have any questions, thoughts, comments, observations, again, please do not hesitate to email me. I love to receive your questions, comments, observations. I know there are so many questions that come up in, in mind and heart as we begin to discuss this all-important narrative of Noah, so please don't be shy. Just go to my website at... Uh, joeholcraft.org, or you can go to my email at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j, -J, just send your question or message on its way, and I will gladly receive it. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.